Hi, and a warm welcome to all of you. Glad you could join our podcast. My name is Kate Pohl, and I'm a freelance advisor, consultant, and coach with a rich background in commercial banking. My partner is Stephen Batiste, the CTO of TIS, and our resident tech wizard. Stephen began writing code at age seven and designing video games when he was just a mere teenager, and he's never looked back since. Our topic today is ransomware. So, Stephen, what exactly is ransomware? Ooh. Well, it's actually a type of malware from the field of cryptovirology, which sounds very uh, complex and actually is. Um, Good to know. Essentially, what it does in, in basic terms is it blocks access to the victim's machine or encrypts the data of the machine. Uh, there's been a love high profile tax recently, especially JBS and the, the pipeline that everybody remembers, and they actually paid that ransom. And during 2020, the tax actually doubled from 2019. So it's something that's actually increasing quite, quite big. I would say virally, but that would be a strange thing to say in this context. Uh, it was actually reported death as well in 2020 from a German hospital. But this turned out to be not true at all, but it did bring public attention that this probably will happen one day when they target the wrong place or they someone gets targeted. There are supposed to be ethics amongst these bad people where they say, don't target hospitals, don't target uh, nonprofits. But uh, when you release a virus, who knows where it's going to end up. Indeed. So ethics among thieves. I love that. Okay. So we have the, the good bad guys and the bad bad guys. You mentioned crypto virology. Uh, as you said, uh, mentioning anything with viral is, is sort of a scary thing in, in 2021. But um, why don't you tell us exactly what crypto virology is? So it actually dates back to 1996. And there's three major types of virology. There's cryptoviruses, crypto trojans, and crypto worms. Now I don't like the word worm. Can you no, <laughs> I guess I guess I have no choice. Crypto worms. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, and to explain those, uh, a cryptovirus, we all know the virus. You, you get an email, you click the, the link that says click me, and then that spreads to your machine and then also spreads to other machines as well. So you have to manually click or do an action in order to make it spread as a virus. Understood. Then the crypto worm is something that can just spread by itself. Once you're infected by the worm, it can spread to other machines or computers automatically. You don't have to interact with it. So you may not even know that you have a crypto worm. Uh, crypto trojans, those are like the Trojan horse in the in mythology, it's uh, actually a way that people can infect your machine and create a backdoor into your machine so they can have access whenever they want and come and go and please. Now, oh what gosh. makes it interesting is the crypto part because it adds a bunch of technology on top of the traditional virus or the traditional traditional worm. And it's this that makes it more difficult to do stuff because the attacker actually has a private key. As we've discussed with blockchain before and crypto coins, uh, they actually use the private keys in order to, to make sure what they're doing stays more stealthy. 
my gosh, that means I can't lock my door anymore. It's it's the analogy is locking your door in your home. Now you can't lock the door in your computer anymore. So what's actually worse is most of these attacks are actually asymmetric backdoors. Asymmetric. What does that really mean? What's an asymmetric backdoor? So it's kind of like we discussed with blockchain. You use cryptography so that you can make a one-way entrance. Ah. So, so the analogy would be like, well... So the little men come in, but they don't go out? It, well, a symmetric backdoor is anyone who finds it can go in. It's, it's, oh. a, it's a backdoor that isn't locked. And right. a symmetric backdoor, you have to have that key and only the bad person who placed that there has the access to it and can only really find it as well. So it's, it's a way of keeping more stealthily quiet and making it more difficult to actually discover that you have this vulnerability on your machine. Okay, so just to recap, because I think that's really, really important, and I'm going to go back and listen to blockchain again myself. So the, um, the symmetric backdoor means that uh, multiple people can come in, or it's not, or it's easier to get in that backdoor. And Any, asymmetric, anyone, anyone yeah. really, and asymmetric is you really have to have a key. Yeah, is that you correct. Have key. Yeah, so it's more difficult to detect as well because you need the key to be able to detect that there is a backdoor. Got it. Okay. Oh, that's scary. All right. It actually gets scary because they can have this backdoor and you don't know when they're going to use it. So you, you could have one today and you'll only find out about it in two years' time. Thanks, Stephen. You've made my nights, you know, really. Uh, now I'll be able to sleep well from now on. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. Um, now that we know what an asymmetric backdoor is, scary as it may seem, um, so how do these attacks really work? Uh, you know, how do they do it? What do they do? There's many different ways that they actually do this. And it's varied over the years as well. So there's the one we probably know the most, which is the phishing emails, spelled with a PH. And this is what, <laughs> this is usually what you see in the malicious attachment, which says click here to win a prize or uh, retyping your credentials. Or this is a funny picture of a cat. <laughs> Okay, the ones the ones people fall for so easily. Okay, got that. Mm -hmm. And then there's instant messaging applications. There's vulnerabilities that allow you to, to send messages that have bad attachments or even just, there's one recently with SMS messages where you would do some strange characters and you could actually infect a machine. These are, these are luckily being fixed now, for the ones that we know about. So no need to worry with those as much. Well, but, but by the way, when did all this start? I mean, we're talking about this phenomenon that has this always been the, you know, always, always since computers were invented or when did this begin? Uh, really 1989, it started. Wow, okay. Yeah. But not before then, huh? No, well, if you think about it, there was a lot less connectivity before 1989. It was a lot more difficult for viruses to spread, for remote access to be granted to computers. So. Right. Yeah, it was really just the floppy disks that you could use. So we were protecting ourselves by being sort of not so advanced, in other words. Yeah, well, if you, if you look at the different methods, it's usually social engineering, vulnerable web servers, downloads from websites, instant <sighs> messaging, phishing emails. Like everything really is modern-day invention since the internet. Great. Okay. Um, re really, the only one that isn't modern is the supply chain manipulation. And we're oh, starting no. to see more What's and more. What's that? 
So that's where you actually infect the chips themselves. There's lots of rumors that China was doing this to certain laptop manufacturers and just inf infecting supply chain. We saw the solar winds uh, problem. Yes. That was a supply chain manipulation. They actually manipulated the software that was used to develop solar winds. So it was a very elaborate scheme. Again, I don't know that I'm going to sleep again. This is this is not good, but important to know. So who's usually targeted? I mean, who does this usually affect? Is uh, Are we in danger? So in the past, it's been private citizens, but more and more we see organizations. This is typically because they pay large amounts of money more quickly because they want to keep it secret. So it's easy to target one big company, then lots of little individuals who may give you small amounts of money. We also see government agencies or medical facilities, but I think these are mostly just to try and capture data. It's more of a cyber attack for okay. intelligence gathering from rogue states or states that have different opinions of the current country. <laughs> uh, well said, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. And there's organizations with just sensitive data who will pay to keep news of the compromise quiet. Okay, understood. What about banks specifically? Um, what's the deal there? So banks are definitely very attractive to cyber criminals. Uh, there's a wide range of personal data that they, mm. they actually carry. Yeah. And there's possibilities of that, like converting this to actual cash, especially when we see banks are becoming more crypto aware. It's a lot easier to extract money out of a bank electronically with some crypto mechanism than finding an ATM or actually going to a physical bank to withdraw money from a, an ATM machine or from a teller. It's a lot more anonymous, a lot easier to do remotely in other countries. <laughs> Bleeding people without getting too close, huh? Exactly. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, do you feel that COVID and the whole crisis we've had the last, I guess, year plus and working from home has had a major impact uh, on this problem? Well, in 2020, when the COVID began and everyone started working from home, uh, we did see a big increase up to 60% is being estimated even greater. And it's, it's especially because the, these bad people have really taken advantage of people working at home. Mm -hmm. Suddenly everybody's remote. You have in office equipment at home. You have your laptop that you would normally use for work. Right. Network at home is not as safe as the one from the office so right. suddenly there's weak links in the way to get into these organizations so really in essence with banks you've got the double whammy you have the the attractiveness in terms of the data the fact that or the triple they have lots of money that you can steal and now they have all the workers at home i mean that's that sounds like a problem almost uh, waiting to happen what about um what about the, the problem for banks of their reputation? I mean, beyond just what they might lose, I mean, downgrades, is, is that an issue out there? Yeah, definitely. There was one bank, uh, Bank of Valletta, who had money stolen in 2019. And they were downgraded because of this, because it was just seen as you know, the threat. Well, so, so banks really have um, a lot on their plate now with not only cybercrime and ransomware, but also the combination of trying to make sure that their workers can actually work safely from home. Exactly. Okay. Um, 
Can you explain the term? We talked about it earlier, um, mass blanketed attacks. That sounds like, uh, that sounds truly scary. What is that? Yeah, so, so we talked about organizations being attacked and that's a, a single company where a group of guys or an individual try and break in. Mm-hmm. Mass blanketed is where you just, you just go for the numbers, you play the numbers game. Right. You do an attack and you try to infect as many machines as possible and you try to take money from as many individuals as possible. And you know that you're not going to get everybody, but 10% or 20% or whatever the number is, is, is going to add up to a decent amount of money. Fair enough. And who's typically the bad guy out there? Who does it? Uh, I guess, and maybe I should even ask, and why? I don't know. Is it always for just financial gain? Yeah, so there's no real concrete parts on who's behind this ransomware. There's individuals, there's gangs, and there's even reports of countries. Mm. Uh, they think there's about two dozen gangs dominating this. The, the use of crypto coins and Bitcoin in particular, it's a lot more anonymous to actually collect it. So to actually trace where the money goes to, it's more difficult. They do find individuals who mess up now and then, and that kind of leads to the discovery of a gang. But for the most part, nobody really knows. It's kind of a, yeah. World and cyber. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So interesting was like back in 1996, there was a, a paper published by the NSA of all people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, it's wow. quite fitting because today's episode is 007. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we can we can yeah touch on the, the spy theme. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but but this paper actually mentioned that, that about ransomware and the potential use of computers to do ransomware, and they even suggested e-money back in 1996 as a way to collect ransom. And this was way before anyone even had ideas about Bitcoin or blockchain or anything to do this. It's interesting. I, I don't even want to ask what Big Brother was doing at the time. Never mind. Uh, let's not go there. So... Uh, why can't we protect ourselves better? So the question here is, why can't we just run antivirus software or you know, what else can we do? Why can't we just fix it? So this is a very good question because most people always say, why didn't my antivirus software protect me? Yeah. And this is, where the, this is really where the crypto comes in. They use polymorphism. And what this really means is it's a way of changing the signature code of the virus. So every time it copies, it can be a little bit different or a lot different, which makes it really difficult for the antivirus software to find a signature to attach and set and identify this is a virus. You, you do realize this is in times of Corona and COVID and that, you know, oh my gosh, uh, never mind, we won't go there. Exactly, just the worries with COVID and, and the variants. Yes. The way that the crypto uses for the viruses to actually be able to become a variant. What a parallel, I hate to think. Okay, so once we have it, how do we get rid of it? How do we actually remove it? So this is actually a sad point. There <laughs> oh, no, no, I knew you were going to say this. Because the encryption is so good, it's actually very difficult to decrypt unless, so most companies actually just end up paying and individuals as well. It's really the only way that you can't just call some guy in from the geek squad or somewhere and they, they <laughs> fix the machine. You have to really pay. The only way to decrease, get your data back is to pay the thing. 
And you can remove the virus, the different types of viruses, but your data is still going to be inaccessible. Oh my gosh. So, so you only, you have the choice to pay or to wipe your, wipe your computer and start again, huh? Yeah. And that's actually why most organizations do actually pay like the pipeline case. They did pay to get the data back. Really? And there's actually third party solutions now who do this for you and keep it quiet. So if you're an organization that's being compromised, you can just pay the, the ransomware. Okay, so if they're paying, what are actually the costs? What is actually being asked for? So for the individuals, it's usually like a few hundred dollars. But as we see in the bigger cases, it's millions. Nobody actually knows what the biggest ransom has been paid yet because most companies do it in secrecy. And there's actually a report that a lot of companies are starting to keep Bitcoin cash reserves just to pay ransoms when they need to. Jeez. Well, okay. Well, so, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Stephen. We do actually have estimates now. In 2020, uh, there's a report that estimated like, up to 18 billion could be spent in this ransom war, like for the entire marketplace, not just corporations, but individuals as well. Okay. And the actual average payout was $150,000. Amazing. Oh my gosh, that would just literally ruin. Yeah. I guess small firms and a lot of people. That's scary yeah. stuff. Okay. So having heard that, how can we actually prevent ransomware attacks? What can we do to um, be more careful, be more safe? Definitely keep your operating system up to date. When they say there's an update, install that update. There's a famous case more recently where Apple had an urgent patch for everybody to do. This was a supply chain problem. Uh, there was, it wasn't anything to do with Apple, but somebody in China at the SDK, and SDK is used for making applications mm-hmm. for, the, for the iPhone. And Apple's site was very, very slow to download within China. So what they did was they made a fast mirror of that data and infected it with malicious code so they can take control of the application on the device. Uh, lots of applications use this, and the estimates were that 300 million phones were infected with this just because oh of all the different applications. Uh, how do you notify 300 million people that they need to update the phone? You couldn't send an email out. That would be difficult because it would seem that <laughs> it would like bring that email network down. So yeah. Apple just made an urgent patch that was mandatory that everybody had to do. So Actually, always- I remember it. There were two in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Not too long um, ago. And there's probably going to be more in the future because there's always new ways to find vulnerabilities in operating systems, especially for Android, which is open software. You can actually look at the code and see how it works to find these. Makes it a lot easier. Okay. Yeah. So never install untrusted software as well. That's a, a bad idea. And suspect emails with attachments from unknown people or even people you know because. Maybe a virus as we discussed earlier, and they clicked it, and now it's been sent to you. So let's be clear our best defense, it sounds like, is to remain very alert and informed and definitely not complacent. Would you agree? Definitely. Always never trust anything on me when it comes to. <laughs> okay, Stephen, are you really Stephen? I don't know. Should I trust you? Yeah. 
<laughs> okay. So Stephen, any final thoughts? Ransomware. Ooh. It's definitely something that's not going to go away. And as we have more and more e-banking and just ways to obfuscate money, how it travels, the criminals aren't going to go away either. I really think we need to bring laws in. If every country agreed to pass a law making it illegal to pay these ransoms, then maybe that would be a solution to remove it because it just no company would be able to pay quietly right. or publicly. Right. It's kind of like the FBI's way of never negotiating pay the ransom, like mm-hmm. the US government stance because it just encourages more to do so. So maybe that's the way we have to tackle ransomware. If if we keep trying to tackle it from the software side of things, yes, it's gonna make a lot of people rich, but on both sides of the anti-malware software, people, the people who fix the machines and the people doing these attacks. Fascinating Uh, in a a sort of macabre way, but uh, very good to hear your thoughts. It's made it a lot clearer for me. Thank you, Stephen. And thanks to all of you who are listening to Digital Dump. Our aim is to tackle a topic of interest in the world, Stephen's world of technology on a weekly basis. If you have a topic you wanna know more about, please let us know. We're on seven different platforms now and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks and bye-bye for now. Bye everyone.